is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. All right, stop, stop, stop. Podcasting to you from the sunny forest of Meadowdale, Washington, where I, for one, have a full tank of gasoline. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Tim Kilkenny. And from Cascade Locks, Oregon, where Team Nathan is very upset right now, I'm Andrew Hoffman. Who Who is Team Nathan? What's happening? I mean, why not get into the, the most important story first, right? Right, sure. Yeah. So, as I'm sure everyone in our audience is uh, is familiar when calls the heart is a show on hallmark <laughs> okay based on Jeanette oak books i uh may or may not be married to someone who has read all the Jeanette oak books and watched every episode of when calls the heart there you go so a uh, little backstory you know for six years there was um the main character's name is Elizabeth, and she's married to a Mountie. A Canadian, you know, it's set like ambiguously in Canada a while ago in a place called Hope Valley. And uh, married to a Canadian Mountie named Jack. And then the actor who played Jack uh, decided to leave the show after six years, so they killed off his character. And so the last three years have been spent in a supposed love triangle between two characters, one uh, Nathan and one Lucas. Lucas is a uh, slimy, sneaky saloon owner, and Nathan is also a Mountie, and clearly the person that Elizabeth would select, right? I mean, this is... I don't actually watch the show. You know, I see it kind of going in and out of the the room. And it's, you know, typical Hallmark, very spelled out in advance where the plot is going. She's going to, you know, she's going to marry this guy. He's He adopts a little girl who she's close to. And, you know, it's it's just the way it's got to be. Like, no, no uh, Canadian 19th century school teacher is going to marry the local saloon owner. It's just not... Not done. And so, uh, despite much foreshadowing for the past three years, the big reveal was in the season finale, and sh- and Elizabeth selected Lucas. And people are going nuts. Like, this is... You know, uh, my, my wife listens to Alex Jones. She knows about everything that's going on in the world. She knows it's a bioweapon killing us all off. But this upset her more than any of that. <laughs> so this is so all the all the team Nathan folks out there, I my sympathies. With all due respect to your lovely wife. <laughs> I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> so. so you may have noticed I said stop, 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 and, and cut the music yeah. at the beginning of our show. So that's what's happening. So it's almost like a, a it, an interesting story, but the the intro to the show is a cut from Bass Nectar, which was a big dubstep uh, group back when the show was made. It was super popular in 2011 when we first started the show. Um, 
so anyway, uh, it was out actually almost like a joke when I was like, I was like trying to find the right music to intro to the show. And I thought, well, you know, let's look at, uh, let's look at this. Let's look at that. Trying to find music that like made sense. And almost as a joke, I was like, well, cause I was listening to it at the time. Why not some like dubstep music and we'll throw it in there. And it like, I don't know. It just it's it's kind of exciting. It kind of off puts the uh, the kind of dry monotone way that we sometimes speak, and it just I don't know. It just always worked. I just, I kind of did it as a joke, but ever since then I've always really liked it. And I think other people out there who listen to this show like it. It's just something that gets you going. But we have a Houston. We have a problem, and we're gonna oh, have no. a yeah. We're gonna have a a meeting right now. You and me. Are going to have a meeting on the future of the intro to this show. Now, I know this doesn't affect you because you've never actually listened to our show, so you have no <laughs> idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, Tr- truth is- be told, I've listened to the beginning a couple times. I, oh, I can I can listen to it until I start talking. <laughs> That's yeah. So I, if you want to go ahead and refresh the folder there, I threw this story in, and we can really kind of get into this because. Well, I have some sad news. So, so I, I came prepared uh, for music for our, you know, contributions segment, our donation okay. segment. That's awesome. Uh, but I, d- I don't know that this will be appropriate for beginning of every episode. Okay, fair enough. Well, we'll have to tr- we'll have to try that music for the donations episode or for the donation segment. But if you could go ahead and refresh the. Uh, Refresh the folder. Apparently, actually- someone who makes uh, the the music for our show was sued for sex trafficking and child porn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. <laughs> the, I didn't know about this until uh, you know it, it came. I came across my came across the the uh, what do you call it the. The desk here, and then I, I started to I started looking at it. So, oh, this is not good. So, the popular EDM DJ is being sued for sex trafficking and possessing child pornography by two women, Rachel and Alexis, who claimed he groomed them and having a sexual relationship with them when they were minors. According to the legal doc, he first contacted the girls via direct message on social media to start a relationship. Both women claim he encouraged them to watch the film American Beauty. Which is interesting because it's even referenced as a theme in many of his shows. Space Nectar alleged the girls were underage through the uh, learned the girls were underage through the DM before he sent them tickets to his show, and then the women claim he invited them back to his hotel room for sex, which he mandated be without the use of a condom. According to the docs, the DJ paid girls for sex in amounts ranging from three hundred to sixteen hundred dollars. Rachel claims she was first contacted by Base Nectar in twenty twenty twelve, or excuse me, twenty twelve. And we started having, having sex with him in 2013 when she was underage. She also solicited her. He said he solicited her to take explicit photographs and send them to her. Alexis pretty much claims the same thing, but it was 2014 and 2016. Both women are suing for damage, past, future, and emotional distress, as well as medical expensive. We've reached out to Base Nectar. So far, no word back. So, Andrew, I'll we need see. different. We need different uh, intro music. Yeah, I, I would agree. <laughs> You would agree? It's di- it's yeah. different intro. I I was gonna leave. I, I could go. I was like fifty five percent. We we need different intro music. Forty five percent not just because it's been such a kind of exciting, fun part of the intro. But according to whatever you said, is what we were gonna do. So we need new intro music. 
Yeah, I would say so. I okay. Yeah. You know, All right. Fair enough. That's uh, that's that's uh, that's what we got to do then. So. Uh, on that note, before we get too far into it, I wanted to touch base on a couple things. And one will be if there's anybody out there who can make music <laughs> or would like to cut an intro to this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. We call our donators to this show producers, and we're following kind of the value for value model. One way you could contribute value to this show, if we got any audio engineers out there, people who could throw something together please send in clips and uh, Andrew and I will take a listen to them and see if that's something that we want to put at the beginning of the show until then I do have a placeholder which is not necessarily a placeholder it's been used several different times it's by one of Andrew's favorite groups thrice and I think that we will have much less chance of the lead singer of thrice getting in trouble for underage uh, trafficking I would hope so yeah <laughs> so anyway um, without further ado though i wanted to touch base and i'll let you take it from here but we did a donation segment i believe two or three shows ago where we sent a book out to truth is stranger than fiction at such and such address and that was the full name truth is stranger than fiction and uh why don't you uh let us know what happened since then well and well we actually learned about it because someone sent us um a, a donation and an email, right? Saying like, "Hey, I just saw this Truth is Stranger Than Fiction video about Andrew's book, and here's some money." Even though I've never listened to your guys's podcast, which I think that has to be a first, right? I mean, I what, mean that what w- podcast w- gets donations from people who have never never actually listened to it? So that um, was a first, but there were many that followed. Yeah. So, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction is a, a very popular YouTube channel with over 100,000 subscribers. And he did uh, a video kind of about my book and what his thoughts are, were on it, his what he agreed with, disagreed with, things like that. And, um, you know, a very complimentary video and a huge response from that. So, thank you to everyone who's listening for the first time because of that video and thanks especially to truth is stranger than fiction absolutely thank you to him very much and i think i'll clip maybe the first part where he was reading directly from your book maybe i'll clip that out i'll throw it at the end of the show after the the outro music i always not always but i sometimes put like little hidden gems in there last last week i put a good one in there that was the uh you and me kind of off off the show and you were trying to get me to listen to biden say it grows the economy. <laughs> it grows the economy. Yes. <laughs> so I put that little clip at the end of the last show. I'll throw uh, the first lines from your book that he produced and we're, we're, was reading out loud at the end of this show. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll add that little contribution of the book moving forward. And I also, on the story of the book, I wanted to... We have a, and because of that, we have received more donations, more emails. We appreciate everybody and uh, wanted to, you know, we would love to read everybody's don't or everybody's note. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to do that. But um, I did want to single out one specific one since pretty much everybody is celebrating your book, Andrew. And I think it's kind of cool because it was almost like a, a harebrained idea that, that I came up with on this end and you yep. went with it. And it's 
it's actually spreading and I think, I think God's actually using it. So I think that is like, I'm super excited about that in in it with good reason. Your book is relevant. It's especially relevant today, but I wanted to read you this quick email because you didn't see this. And I think this is, this is amazing. I recently received Andrew's books in the mail. This is from Nick Nicholas, who sent us a, uh, a card in the PO box. So he said, I recently received Andrew's book in the mail. Very excited to read it. And happy to resent, represent Michigan, Cal, the California of the Midwest. <laughs> one question and one thought for you. Is the back art on the book original to the first edition or has it been updated? If it is original, then the hypodermics and the child in a mask is a prophetic image to a terrifying degree. My thought is a recent interpretation of scripture that may have been rolling around in my mind about the temple, on and on and on. So, um... One question I have for you is the back cover on the book original, Andrew. Oh well, there is only one edition of the book. So oh, this is, this is the only edition. Defi- this is most definitely original. Yeah. So the back cover of this book, for those who don't know, uh, has a snake with fangs that are uh, hypodermic needles full of some sort of liquid. Obviously, yeah, with the, with dollar symbols. Dollar <laughs> symbols, and then everyone on the back is wearing a mask. Yeah, it's it's almost like this has been an agenda for a long time. You but, saw it yeah. a long time ago, two thousand nine. You wrote this book, and I think it's very relevant today. And I think it's so cool that it's getting the exposure that it deserves. We have a bunch of them to get out there. Uh, until further notice, all donations over twenty five dollars will get a free copy of this book. Um, but it's until further notice. So don't ask if we still have it for now. We do still have it. So we'll still have it. I got the, I got new envelopes. We're good to go. Okay, perfect. And on that note, another quick uh, production thing. Uh, and I, one of the gentlemen who just recently donated, actually he donated before ever listening because that's how, that's how most of our donators from this last uh, (laughs) week have been. And then he listened and then he heard us talk about the extra cost of shipping to Canada. And then he sent another email asking about the extra oh, cost. Nice. So that was really nice of him. Um, and I did want to say that. Um, and also I put it on our donations page. It's $25 uh, donation. We'll get a free copy of this book in the United States. If you are not from the United States, please just send us a quick message. Let us know where you're from and we'll get a rough idea of what it's going to cost to get it to you. And then we'll adjust it accordingly. So uh, that is uh, U.S. shipping. $25 book shipped to you. No problem. International shipping. Please send us a message and we're, and it, we're, it, we're starting to kind of figure out how much it is. Well, to it, ship if someone's, I, I am more than open to uh, some international shipping tips too, because I, the local post office here uh, is, is totally clueless. I mean, they, they charge me like different prices to mail the exact same thing just in the U S. So it's, you know, if there's a better way to do it, uh, more, you know, cheaper or what have you, let me know, and we'll we will certainly do that method. So, perfect, yeah, yeah. And I could talk to, actually, my wife is getting pretty good at mailing stuff out, so I see if she has a a method for it as well. Um, and then on a one last note, uh, before we kind of get into it, a lot of stuff to cover today. I mean, the, the, our theme music has been ruined, so I'm just thrown off of, uh, of <laughs> yeah of the. Uh, of the show in general. We, have, we haven't even referred to the weather and it's beautiful outside. But. <laughs> it is beautiful. It's warm today. 
other than the have... other than the chemtrails, like, we're getting chemtrailed like crazy down here. But I had a wonderful back and forth. This guy wrote us an email and it just said, "How's the weather?" Nice. And I reported back. It's a bit cloudy. And he re- he let me know about where it, how it was when he where he was, and then it eventually started into a conversation. But it was a good back and forth. Somebody who gets the uh, the joke, obviously. And yeah. uh, I think my favorite email back was uh, from our friend. Uh, what is his name? Oh yeah, Danny. Danny the idiot. This is why Danny's an <laughs> idiot. And uh, he he said thanks for uh, reading the email on the show and thanks for hitting record. And I love that we've all reached a <laughs> comfort level with my ADD that we could just, you know, literally people are sending me emails like, hey man, thanks for hitting record. And I appreciate that. That's a yeah. That's yeah. a good direction for us. Just, you know, open with my flaws. That's how I roll. But uh, I did want to mention one more thing, and that is for people who are brand new to the show, and interestingly, there are many people who have been with us since the beginning, but there are definitely some new ones, especially this last week, and even into January this last uh, five months, I guess. We made episode 200 specifically kind of for newcomers who didn't, you know, catch all the subtleties of the of the two of us, you know, over the last 200 episodes. So episode 200, we called that one Origin Stories. And that one actually really explains kind of how I got to where I am now and why we started doing the show. And then how Andrew got to where he is now and why he wanted to do the show and it's mainly just a tale of Andrew being intellectual and me experiencing life the hard way and seeing some of the inner workings of the beast and the military and, and uh, you know, through law enforcement and other things. So anyway, I wanted to uh, point that out. That might be a good intro, for, especially for people who are just starting out. So without further ado, I mean, how far into this are we? I did hit record, right? Yes. You did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're almost 20 minutes in, so... <laughs> Let's uh, let's get some stories going. What do you have for us this week so far, Andrew? Well, so the pipeline story is a big a big story, and I don't have a great analysis of it at this point. It just seems fishy to me. Yeah, absolutely, it does. So uh, the name the na- uh, name of the company that was hacked, or the name of the yeah the. The company and just how they refer to the pipeline is Colonial. Uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> uh, sure. Kind of a a term that is out of favor, um, but also historically in the U.S. used to be also historically you know, accurate. <laughs> it's also historically accurate. We did start out as colonies. Um, we did start out as. Those who were colonized upon, not as uh, colonizers. Uh, unfortunately, it's kind of switched around. But so you've got, and we, we've talked about it on the show. There has been um, talk about shortages and gas shortages. You talked about how they're they're pushing that, and we've talked about for a long time, kind of the new cyber nine eleven that's been in the works for. You know, basically since the the original 9-11 and how they, you know, we, we kind of always thought that's how they were going to take over the Internet. And in reality, they've done a lot of the stuff we expected that would come as a result of this cyber 9-11 and the cyber version of the Patriot Act um, ahead of time. It's just been YouTube and 
Twitter and Facebook just enforcing um, orthodoxy from a politically correct and uh, big pharma perspective on everyone on their own um, without a kind of government excuse for it. So, I'd, But that doesn't mean that the, the Cyber 911 is not still coming and it doesn't mean that <laughs> the Internet could, uh, could get even worse, even less free. Um, so this story kind of just wraps all of it together. You know, it's like, I don't know. Does anyone ask the question why a gas pipeline needs to be online? No, <laughs> no everything needs to be online, dude. Everything it's- needs to be online. We've t- talked about it with the electric grid. You know, there's, there's a really easy way to, to keep the electrical grid safe and, free from hacking and keep pipelines free from hacking. And that's to, to not rely on the internet for <laughs> not connect them to the internet. Um, but anyway, the, the official story is a ransomware attack and everything shut down and they're going to manually turn stuff back on later this week. Um, so is this going to be a huge deal? Hopefully not as long as the turn up, you know, offline works as it should. Uh, people, you know, for the most part, the short shortages are are kind of localized. There's definitely some, you know, if it's your town, it's a big deal, obviously. Um, so I don't know if this is a big attack or if this is kind of like a, a trial run type deal. But what what are your thoughts? I'm I'm not I'm not sure I, I'm not sure on either of those things. I think that this is a more of the breaking down of the supply line of the United States of America. I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways we are completely under attack right now from globalist interests and yeah, the, a, a lot of I mean, this. This is, start- is a big one. This is the biggest pipeline in the U.S. Yeah, that was shut down. So <laughs> I, I think a lot of this is actually starting to look like almost exactly like actually. Um, the Carter administration, right? Yeah. The Carter administration, they had the gas shortage. They had the, uh, the you know, kind of uber liberal president who was in office, who was kind of wildly or widely hated. And, you know, it just, it's almost like a, a cherry on top that this last week, giant versions of uh, Joe Biden and his wife met with. Uh, yeah. With the, so, with so was that, uh, was that saying, uh, you know, metaphorically, artistically, was that saying that Biden is a giant version of Jimmy Carter? I, I have no expect, idea. Expect giant versions of what happened in the 70s. It, so we've got it, stagflation times, you know, times three. I mean, it it was bizarre. It reminded me of the like the Obama birth certificate deal where like you opened it in Adobe Illustrator and there was like eight different layers that someone had just like, cl- like clearly <laughs> thrown together. Yeah. It's like, wait, how did this, how did this happen? Why how did was this, this put out as a photo? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this was just put out as a photo and it's like, he's, it's, he's clearly not there. If you look, especially at right. his shoe, shoe on the carpet, this is a totally a, a Photoshop deal, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's sending well, a, and a subliminal the fact message. That he is a giant. Or uh, Jimmy Carter, and <laughs> the Carters are either um, tiny people, and no one told us this whole time, or <laughs> the Bidens are giants, and no one told us that this whole time, or it's uh, a photoshopped image. 
not so. every episode we can fit a Nephilim connection, but maybe the, <laughs> the Nephilim Bidens. Nephilim yeah. Bidens. So, yeah. I, I I mean I don't know. It's a continued. Uh... Yeah, I think it was a message. Yeah. It, now it that I like... look back on it, it seemed like a stupid distraction story. I don't even. Did we even talk about it? No. Okay, but I mean, everybody saw it. That thing was everywhere. The picture was everywhere. Yep. And, yeah, I thought stupid distraction story, but now I'm thinking this was a... This might have been a little signal. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, this this pipeline thing, you know, I'm looking forward to no agenda tomorrow. This is up there, wheelhouse, uh, the, the pipeline deal. We know Biden shutting down Keystone Pipeline. They're shutting down other smaller pipelines. They're shutting down a Canada to Michigan pipeline through Whitmer. Uh, it's, you know, if if a foreign power was in charge of the U.S., they could not be doing a better job of shutting down the country. You know, it's like what? I'm, I agree with that 100. percent But why did you say if? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In election news, oh, no. oh, yeah. Let's let's not talk about that. Oh, and so how does the Arizona audit fit into all of this? Because it's still going on. Still going on. Um, I think it is. Yeah, probably more important than the amount of attention we've paid to it. I was Absolutely. going to try. And I I was more. literally like telling myself like pay attention to this this is important and did i pay attention to it no because there's so much other stuff to distract you with it's all about making you look away from this yeah because you know i don't think that the the numbers are going to come out how they think how they said they would so that's going to be part of the issue there because they they were already kind of pre pre pre-sending the message that these these people that are doing the arizona audit are going to find you know stuff that says the there was election fraud, but don't believe them because they're crazy conspiracy theorists. Yeah, and there's no validity to anything they're saying just because we're going to ad hominem claim that they're conspiracy kooks and uh, just believe us instead. So. Yeah, Same. sounds like the vaccine. So, yeah, the vaccine is the same way. Don't don't believe don't believe your lying eyes showing you all these people having reactions. Just uh, that's not the science is settled. Vaccines are safe, even <laughs> ones that, even the ones that haven't been approved by the FDA. I probably should stop saying that because eventually it will be approved by the FDA. It will be approved. Yes, this is a. So, yeah, my my take on it is that is kind of a, a red herring. The it's not approved thing because they Pfizer runs the FDA, <laughs> like Fauci's. Uh, wife is literally in charge of what vaccines get approved and which ones don't. It's getting approved. It's just they're strategically planning the the best timing of it. Um, So if you you put all your effort, and uh, you know people should point that out. I think it's good to to point out to people from a lack of safety perspective. But... um, Especially since you got the, uh, the big schools here in Washington. Saying they're gonna, they're they're thinking they're gonna mandate it for the fall. Well, uh, and in order to attend Washington University or University of Washington or Washington State University, so they're starting to say that they're gonna. 
it's going to be required. And yes. as of now, until there is a full approval, you cannot require an emergency youth auth- use authorization vaccine. Yeah. So University of Oregon put out a tweet that said, mandated for all students and staff that will be on campus this fall. Okay. And I, of course, reacted as you would expect me to report. And I don't said, I don't go here. So why do I care? And, oh, no, uh, no, no. I said <laughs> I said, get the lawyers ready. Yeah. And so then in the, the pushback to that, I said, you can't. Uh, because the, someone said, well, they mandate other vaccines. What's the big deal? And I said, well, they're experimental and uh, there's waivers for the other vaccines. And they said, well, there's waivers for this one, too. And sure enough, if you look below the original tweet, the University of Oregon says that they are offering medical and other exemptions. <laughs> so, which is really close to um, not mandated, yeah. if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, it's really close you know, to I, not I, meaning what you said it meant. I, I have uh, experience with signing the, the vaccine exemption form for my child for school because uh, it's required for private as well as public schools. And not a difficult process. You just have to sign a paper saying you're a bad parent. And you're putting your child at risk, but it's you know what you're doing, and and you know vaccines are really great, but you're not getting them for your your child because you're a stupid moron. Um, but you're you're you know withdrawing blame from the wonderful uh, st- wonderful state that's just trying to protect your kids by making sure they get their shots. So I mean, they clearly they can run your children's health. Look yeah. at the way they run their their uh, post office, or the way they run the, the way they run their the DMV, their, the DMV, <laughs> the way Portland's being run. I mean, come on, when you want to trust your children's health to this? Yeah, what why what do you know, citizen? <laughs> citizen, please, so, citizen. So yes, um, and it, there was also one. Do you remember a couple weeks ago? You may or may not have seen it, but there was a PR push that. The Buffalo Bills are going to allow full attendance at their football games, but only if you've been fully vaccinated. I missed it. You remember that story? I didn't, but anyway. So anyway, someone uh, who was, you know, not going to go along with that posted the actual statement from the team's website today. Oh, just a second. Hold on a second. I I, got to say something, though. I just had a, a moment of clarity there. Okay. Not the best team to pick. Upstate New York, Buffaloans, Buffaloans, not the best team to be like, hey, everybody fall in line. This is like, this is widely known as a very crazy fan base known for smashing tables, slamming beers. I am not thinking they're all going to be in line. And and also wearing no shirt outdoors in New York in December. Well, not going to be the first ones to jump in line. So... The way the story was presented, I'm I'm not sure if this was um, if this is an example of the Buffalo Bills backing off because of fan backlash, or if this was this whole original story was a media hoax, kind of like the University of Oregon mandating vaccines for everyone on campus story. Because if you look at the team's website, it says. Um, 
you can't have tested positive for COVID-19 within the last 40, 14 days unless you're fully vaccinated. <laughs> so basically, if you're fully vaccinated, you can get in even if you've tested positive for COVID, which is, seems kind of strange. Right. Uh, but it doesn't say anything about having to be vaccinated to attend the football game. Right. And this is another thing we've covered on the show, too. I think I went off on a, on a rant a week or two ago about how everybody's like worried that in order to fly, they have to to uh, have the vaccine. Right. And this this keeps getting floated in the media. People keep repeating it out loud. We had, keep- the person, we had that person last week at my workplace say, well, I just want to live my life. Mm-hmm. But it's like, hey, uh, the, it's not mandated anywhere. Like even to if you decide to get the covid vaccine and you want to fly to Hawaii, you still have to take a negative test before you go or quarantine yep. for 14 days. It doesn't matter. It's the same if, you, if you're quarantined, excuse me, if you're vaccinated and if you're not, there is no restrictions on travel. It's just people like being tricked into thinking there is or being too scared to do it. And it's yep. the same thing with the sports stuff. And it's also the same thing with the (laughs) vaccine passport or COVID-19 vaccine certificate forgery stories that keep floating in the media, even though it's not really happening. It's been a, there's a guy who was arrested. He's one, one guy. People's lives at risk. (laughs) One guy. I mean, they're clearly promoting the idea to promote the idea of vaccine passports and certificates. So, uh, see James Corbett's excellent episode on forging vaccine passports. Uh, his conclusions are, are, believe it or not, not that you should be forging vaccine passports. <laughs> that, not the answer. Absolutely. Uh, so you mentioned Portland. Mm. Um, it's a little long. I mean, the whole thing's like 13 minutes, but if you're willing um, to play from wonderful to war zone, Portland's reputation transformation, I'll give a little background. This is the local uh, CBS affiliate. And if you can play uh, right through the intro, which is about five minutes, and you'll hear a magical Klaus Schwab phrase at the end, and that'll be your cue to, to cut it. All right. From the pandemic to the protests, Portland has changed dramatically in the past year, and so has its reputation. This is not the city we once knew. Businesses are boarded up and dying. Crime is skyrocketing, and the homeless crisis has reached a breaking point. Welcome to Coin 6 News at 6. I'm Elizabeth Din. And I'm Jeff Giannola. Starting tonight and all this week, we're taking an in-depth look at the issues plaguing our city. And we ask this question, is Portland over? Violence, vandalism, destruction. As Portland struggles through the pandemic, violent protests have damaged the city and continue to destroy its reputation. I've been to Portland, I've visited Portland, I think it's a fantastic city. Currently, if you ask me to go to Portland, it wouldn't be on my list. I have no interest in traveling to Portland whatsoever. I used to live in Oregon, but I don't think it's as safe as it used to be. Well, I was raised in Portland, Oregon. So to me, I think of the old Portland. I know now it's changed tremendously and there's a lot of trouble up there. Peaceful protests hijacked by violence 
city landmarks defaced and torn down, uncontrolled vandalism that has forced businesses to close, and a mayor and other leaders who seem overwhelmed, ineffective, and ill-equipped to stop it. If we are not able to get the federal administration to back off and leave our city, it will happen all across the United States. As Portland emerges from the pandemic, we're left with a downtown fenced off, boarded up, and dying. A homeless problem that was bad, but has gotten worse. And there's this. Everywhere you look, the city of roses has become the city of trash and filth. It was just a little disappointing to see how unkempt the city was, and the homelessness was in a bad way. It was worse than I thought it was going to be. What's happened to our city, our downtown? Maybe you don't care what people in other parts of the country think. What about those who live here? There's no reason that I would go down there anymore. It looks sad. It's pretty sad what's become of downtown and um, the filth, and there's really no reason to go down there anymore, unfortunately. You see syringes and stuff left out, trash and stuff like that. The Portland that I see now is not the Portland that used to be. A lot of rioting and the city itself has showed the signs of all the problems they've had there. The city just doesn't have a safe feeling when I walk through downtown anymore. And I do my best to deal with it, but like I, sometimes I don't even want to come outside. Is Portland over? Can we reclaim and build back better? Wounds this deep will take a long time to heal. There you go. <laughs> Can we build back better? <laughs> back better. You got to build back better, man. So this, uh, so this is you know just mainstream local TV. Jeff Gianola has been there for like thirty years. I mean the guys, and I've I've never seen anything like this out of. <laughs> I mean they, they're nice and liberal, but they've been pushed too far. People are freaking out. And they, you know, it reminds me of, uh, I don't know if we were doing the show or if we talked about it, but there's a documentary that came out in 2019 about Seattle. Yes. Yeah. No, we is, talked about it. Is Seattle dead? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. It was Seattle is dying. Right. So let me tell you something, Mr. Hoffman, to you who <laughs> live close to Portland, I live close. Well, you, have, you live an hour away. I live 20 minutes from downtown Seattle, you know, if there's no traffic. An hour and a half if there is. Um, it looks the same. <laughs> same. Same, same. Seattle looks exactly like Portland. Yes. The only, thing, the only thing different is our protests at night are not as big as yours, I think. But the, we have just the same homeless problem. We have just the same drug problem. It's bizarre. You know, we go into wonderful neighborhoods. Ballard, long hailed as this beautiful neighborhood. It was, it's very Nordic, a lot of uh, Norwegian, uh, Swe Swedish people, you know, people from Finland all came here, became fishermen, would go up to Alaska and do fishing, come down, park in the shipyards, and then go out to their little homes, you know, two, three bedroom homes, you know, ramblers out that they built. You know, in the mid-century, brick houses, hard-working people, and it just made a really kind of a cool neighborhood. Right up against the water, views of the mountains, 
And it is now just, it's hard to describe for people who have not seen it. I know that you know the feeling, Andrew, but mm-hmm. it's well, it, like all these cute houses and wonderful looking places to live uh, mixed in with these high rise, these like three story apartment house looking things. Um, and then all the shops are boarded up or spray painted. And so it leaves this really weird feeling. It's like, okay, that house looks cool. That house looks modern and updated. There must be a little bit of people moving into here and wanting to be here. And then it's like business boarded up, spray paint everywhere, abandoned house, spray paint, trash, beautiful house, view of the mountains. Like, it's like, it's a weird (laughs) side by side where I would, I mean, right now those houses are for those those little ramblers, it's like a million dollars to buy one, million and a half, just to be that in, in close to Amazon and all the stuff going on downtown, in in uh, near, around Amazon. It's like a million dollars to live there, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it if you paid me because yeah. there's I'm not letting <laughs> my son go outside and play if there's homeless people on my on my yard. If there's hypodermic needles that may or may not show up in your front yard, yeah. And it's just bizarre. And as I talked about last week or the week before. There are people who are just fleeing King County to come up here to Snohomish County where they, the sheriff will actually enforce the rules. And there's people mm-hmm. who are, you know, have decent sized yards and there's not a homeless population. But I say but on my way to work the other day, only about five mile drive. I live really close to, uh, to the workplace. Uh, I saw two homeless people on the way there. And I thought, well, this can't be a good sign. Usually no homeless people between here and my mm. work. Now two. Yeah. And. You know, I do my best, and this is a tif- topic for a different day. Sometimes, if I felt led, I'll, I'll donate, donate. I'll give them some money, you know, to 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 uh, to get some food, or maybe sometimes I'll just give them actual food. Uh, but that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that there's a like a homeless slash drug problem that is infested in the city. The city has no idea what to do with it, and it's m- moving out. And, you know, what, what, what is it doing? It's, it's a crazy time when you have property values that are in the millions of dollars and then you don't feel safe. And there's, you know, that same, right. you know, house, you can, you know, walk outside and see a naked guy in the alley behind your house. Like what is happening? This is not, this is not sustainable. And it's not, there's a lot of people moving out. They're like, I'm done. I'm out to the suburbs or I'm, I'm gone altogether. I'm moving to Texas. I think I talked to the yeah 10th or 12th person I've, that said they're going to move to Texas this last week. <laughs> Yeah. No, I it everyone I know is like you know, I mean these are people that have lived in the the gorge their whole their whole life and they everybody's at least been looking, right? I mean oh, yeah. <laughs> looking at Idaho or you know, just other places. Idaho property values are off the charts because that's a lot of people who work for Amazon. They're like, look, if I can work remotely yeah. And I only have to come in once or twice a month. I could do that from Idaho. Like mm-hmm. I'm getting, I can totally move over there. Yeah. So they've inflated their prices, and uh, yeah, it's a well, it's a weird deal. So this, so Portland, uh, and w- one of the things I would recommend people uh, watch the actual video. Um, there's a lot of visual stuff, like they drive through and just show you the homeless camps, the trash everywhere. Yeah, they talked to a guy whose job is to bring sporting events, and he talks about how you pick someone up from the airport, and he's had to learn like a very circuitous route to get to where he's going, so he doesn't drive past the worst spots, you know. I mean, and uh, 
Portland's gone from uh, number three on a list of 80 cities of most desirable place to locate your business to number 66. <laughs> and let's let people know. Let's, t- let's say some good things about uh, Seattle and Portland. Seattle, I think most people actually already know them. It's, there's always been great music. There's good coffee. A lot of big businesses that have become huge businesses, Boeing, Amazon, Microsoft, blah, blah, blah. Not necessarily that that's what makes them good, but just a lot of innovation, a lot of opportunity. Meanwhile, give, give us an update on Portland. Portland, home of Nike, the United States, home of Adidas. <laughs> yeah. um, it's been one of the more affordable places to live. You can get a nice, you know, old kind of classic looking house well, close to town in a nice neighborhood that's affordable. And, I mean... The drive into Seattle, if you're coming from the east, like what other city has a <laughs> drive across a beautiful lake, like coming oh. into the city? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, floating, it really is. That's a good point. Yeah, floating bridge. There's a giant, you know, you drive over a, a lake that's over 300 feet deep in parts. Uh, and you're on a floating bridge. You go into a wonderful, you know, city. There's a cityscape. And then behind it, there's mountains. I mean, it's a gorgeous area to live. And, uh, you know, Portland has a lot of the same draw, but it's been just decimated by this whole thing. And it's funny, Seattle is the butt of the jokes nationwide, but uh, Portland really takes the cake. It's the only one the butt of more jokes at this point. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they made a show about quirky little Portland, Portlandia. Yeah, yeah. Which, um, you know, had a lot of like, it's funny because it's true humor in there. And it's just, it's totally decimated. It really yeah. is. I mean, it's a, I, when was the last time I went to Portland? I, I can't tell you the last time I was, I probably when we went to the Blazer game was the last time I walked when around. When you and I in, went to the Blazer game? Yeah. Yeah. That two, was two years ago. Yeah. That was probably the last time. I mean, I've driven through <laughs> and, right. uh, to get to the other side, but sure. actually go to Portland for anything, that was probably the last time. So, and that's this is not uh, unique to me. I yeah. mean, I'd... I've been to Seattle quite a few times in the within the limits of it. I'm a lot closer than you are, but mm-hmm. I definitely have not been downtown like at all. Yeah, and I think I think that's a pretty common thing. I've actually had people say, "Why would you go downtown at this point?" Like they're actually they yeah. really are scared to go downtown now. Yeah. The it's a perfect storm between the lockdown, shutdown of businesses, the rioting, which lots of rioters came in from other places, lots of the homeless came in from other places. And you know, just the combination of <laughs> like they admitted in the video, just super, uh, super weak leadership. And it's almost like they're cooperating with the destruction of the city. You know, it's almost like it's a plan. Yeah. And it's it, these cities that are in, um, they're not in swing States. Interestingly enough. Um, I, I don't know. It, it feels very, like, like you could not destroy the city more um, than is what what is happening now if it was intentional, which kind of indicates it's intentional. So I was I've been thinking pretty deeply on this, and there's a meme going around which made me kind of think a little bit more about it. 
Uh, it's a picture of RoboCop, and it said, remember the plot to RoboCop was that some higher-up bankers were infesting the city with crime so they could buy the property at lower prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I, if you really take a step back and think about that, you think about how <laughs> high the prices have been driven up around here. Yeah. You think about the fact that a lot of the people that are buying these houses are banks with full intention of just renting them to people. Mm-hmm. I think that's a possibility. I think that they're going to try yeah, and make they, home ownership, especially in these cities, nearly impossible. They're, the banks are buying them up just to rent to people, and then they're going to, you know, basically, it, you know, right into twenty thirty, you own nothing, you'll rent it, and you'll love it. You would think that housing pricing would be dropping like a rock in Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, and it's not. No. You know. And so what's the not, reason not for increasing as fast as other places, as the places where, you know, like where you're living, where it's close to the city, but outside of all the garbage, those house prices are shooting up much faster. Oh, it's so, insane. I mean, it's it's really insane, the housing prices around here. It's just, and so they're going up here. So not in Portland. There's not, you know, you don't have all the tech people moving here with all the money from china or india or different places well and you said nike's from portland but the truth is nike is headquartered in a non-incorporated area near beaverton to avoid all the taxes so it's not you know portland's not getting uh all the nike tax money other than you know just having a massive number of employees and to be quite honest i think that's what the problem with the one of the main problems with seattle is is Seattle yeah. includes King County, which includes Bellevue, which includes Redmond, which includes Microsoft. So mm-hmm. Microsoft, Amazon, and then there's big cont- contributions from Facebook and some others in the area. I think I'm missing one, too. There's another pretty fairly big one. Uh, but anyway, those businesses are, you know, Seattle's benefiting from the tax from those businesses. So they can yeah. almost do whatever they want, and they're still going to make money anyway. It's like the Mariners. It's a, it's a, it's a, just like the Mariners. <laughs> the Mariners are going to make money no matter if the team is good or not. So why field a better team? Yeah, because people want to go to those games. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. That's my thought. Are they are they purposely destroying inner cities? I mean, New York is a ghost town too. You know, you can yeah. buy a you can buy a condo in Manhattan for three hundred grand right now. A nice yeah. Little, one or two bedroom. It, it's certainly, you know, it, it's not a conspiracy. It's an agenda. Sure. And the, the agenda is, ironically enough, to get us into all these cities eventually. It seems to be having the opposite effect short term. Uh, but then that's where you work in the supply chain breakdowns. Yep. You know, major cities, probably you're probably still going to be able to, to buy food and, and gas and what have you in the major cities. But if you're in this little town that you thought was going to be a nice getaway from when society breaks down, maybe the supply trucks just shop, stop showing up. You know, yeah. it, this is, yeah, that's, believe it or not, it's, uh, it's not going well. No, things are it's not, definitely going, not well. going well. But what is going well is we have a couple of producers. So let's take a couple minutes and thank our producers of this show, episode 227 of Revelations Radio News. And we got a few this week, Andrew. And so, uh, yeah, let, let's do that. And you want to play my uh, Dogecoin rap? 
Oh, this is your so, ra- is this your intro music for yes, uh, of for the donation this is, segment? This is you know, thank you for the donations, and now you'll know what I'll be what I'll be doing. <laughs> when I saw this in here, I'd already seen it, and I was like, "What is this doing in here? <laughs> like, what's what's Andrew's angle here?" <laughs> so this is another a great example of hilarity ensues, great humor, way to make a funny video, but. Truth in here, which makes it funny. Yeah. Coming up, bad news for savers, as even those with high interest savings accounts are seeing their money disappear thanks to inflation. But first, we'll detail every possible thing you could die from. He's a rational investor, dividend digester, saves some numbers paycheck just like all his ancestors. Him looking for high yields? That's never the case. He's seeking 6% return. Slow and steady wins the race. When he checks his accounts just to see what they're fielding, it's like driving in Maryland. Ain't nobody yielding. What is he to do? He shouldn't be in a drought. So he visits his advisor just to sort it all out. Inflation's higher than your bond rate. That's what I was fearing. So your savings account is slowly disappearing and your CDs are pointless. That's not very funny. What would you like me to do? Put it all in dog money. Dog money, dog money, dog money, dog money. I'm trading it in for dog money, dog money, dog money, dog money, dog money. I'm putting it all in dog money. My 401k is now a 401k9. And some of my net worth ain't no longer in a straight line. I'm making small moves. I ain't gonna be a pun. I sold my IRA and bought an NFT award. All in on Doge, I dish them out like a Tommy gun. You think I was statehood the way I'm passing on Washington? I feel like Matt Gates. You know what I mean? Assuring everybody it's above 18. It's a modern day gold rush. The prices will boom. Like Reggie White versus the Oilers, I'm headed straight to the moon. My broker's calling. You know that it's on. Buy dog money. Don't stop till it's dawn. One more airbase, two more museums, three more walls, four more Supremes, five more stadiums. We're all out of fiat. Can you take trillions of these and go and make a Xerox? We pay our debts in our currency that might be unfurled if it's no longer the reserve currency of the world. Confidence in the dollar is permanent. Just ask any scholar. People are exchanging their dollars for dog money. Dog money? Dog money. Dog money. We trade in it in for dog money, dog money, dog money, dog money, dog money. I'm putting it all in dog money. Very good, Andrew. Very, very, very good. Thank you for pointing that out. And I wanted to point out the same thing I pointed out to everyone who I showed this video to this week. Hilarious video. Lots of fun. Good rap. Until the part where he says, in, uh, confidence in the dollar is scientific. Ask any scholar. And he's like, people are putting their transferring their dollars into dog money. He's like, what? <laughs> which, which is 100% accurate. That is, yes. that is what makes that whole video because that's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. And then it's, you know, but Elon, the cult of Elon, Elon, Elon likes it. So everybody's putting their, their, their money in, in dog money. Just to just to clarify, I'm not actually buying dog money, but maybe I say, should. But everybody's gonna. I am not. Everybody immediately stops donating. Donating. They ask <laughs> yes. me for they ask me for refunds. Like, Andrew's putting us in dog money. I'm, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> Give me my money they back. Should. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Uh, so starting us off this week, I am going to I Kyle, uh, our friend Kyle has donated again another fifty dollars. This gentleman is from Kent, and I wanted to thank him. He is awesome. He has already donated one hundred and fifty dollars since we've restarted the show. So thank you, Kyle. Autumn from uh, one thing I'm learning about this. It's cool to learn where everybody's from, but like, buddy, there are a lot of people in Washington, like Seattle area, as well as Oregon. Like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of interesting yeah, we, how that works. Are like uh, very West Coast centric on our on our audience and support. So I, you know, the we talk about being a niche of a niche uh, podcast. <laughs> the Northwest stuff, you know, some people there's some people that get it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know, maybe they're just the more maybe there's listeners in other places that are just not as as generous with their donations as supporting the show. So producers for this week, 227, uh, Kyle, we just called out. And then Autumn, also from Washington, from Snoqualmie, Washington, donated $25. Thank you very much. Uh, Caleb, Caleb is from Ohio. He donated the uh, triggering $33. And I believe we mentioned him earlier. He's one of the first people who donated, said, never heard of the show, but want this book and love what you guys do. So awesome. <laughs> love, love that you guys are just ready to support us that that way and try and get Andrew's book. I mean, honestly, you're getting a good value to get Andrew's book for this money. So I totally understand you haven't listened to the show. Get the book, read it, and then maybe do the show afterwards. Uh, Crystal from, get this, Wyoming. Pretty cool. Never, never knew we had a listener in Wyoming, but she donated $25. Maybe not a listener. Who knows? Uh, Juan donated $25 from Bend, Oregon. Another West Coaster there. And then we have uh, Carrie. Uh, she is from Pagosa Springs, Colorado, but actually just wrote me a very kind email. I need to get back to her. They also have a house in Texas. So oh. they're kind of living in, in both places. I think she's preferring Texas right now, but I'll get, I don't know. I, right. I have to message her back. Random, so uh, random small world note. I was once in a wedding in Pagosa Springs, Colorado. That is small world. Pagosa yeah. Springs. I don't even know where that is. It was nice. There you go. Um, let's go back. Here we go. Getting lost. Okay. And then Amy is from, you want to help me with that? Swanona? Swanona? Nonawa? Swanona? Swanona? North Carolina. So thank you, Amy. Sorry for the butchering of your state or city. Um, Teresa, I think, I think you nailed it. Okay, Teresa, another one from your neck of the woods. It's from Beaverton, Oregon. Thank you for your donation. Uh, that was twenty five dollars, or twenty six dollars. Amy donated forty dollars. Sorry about that. Uh, I'll get better at this as time goes on, or maybe Andrew can read. He's the better reader of the group. Uh, Chris donated fifty dollars, and he is from Ohio. Thank you, Chris. So that's two Ohioans coming in with the larger donations too. So. Some generous people in Ohio. Uh, this is Ignacio, another 25, and he's in Maryland. Thank you for that donation. He's another supporter of ours. Kimmy from uh, San Antonio, Texas, donated $35. Thank you. Jean from Bayonne, New Jersey, donated $25. Thank you for that. Ryan from Lafayette, Colorado, donated $25. Thank you. Uh, and then Gene comes back and he says, hey, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that the shipping got to me and donate another $10. Very nice of him. 
Um, and then Glenn donated. He's from Coral Gables, Florida. Send us a note, Glenn. Let us know how things are going down there in Florida. Is it really uh, paradise? Do we is, all need to move to Florida? Everybody's moving there. Lou Brinkowski has moved there. So, you know, a now free he's, country? In, he's yeah. in good company down there. $30 donated. Uh, thank you for that. And then my one of probably my favorite donation or one of my favorite donations of this last week. Good old Francis from the United Kingdom. And Francis donated to us in XRP. So I have never been on too much of a crypto kick, as we've talked about on this show. I uh, don't know much, and we got a lot of feedback because of me saying, hey, what's going on with the crypto? Somebody please send me some emails. I'd like to learn more. And a lot of people did, and I appreciate you all. But I had a great back and forth with Francis that made me kind of like XRP even more. When I finally got him my wallet, when I finally got him my XRP code, he sent me an email and uh, he says, hey, we, I think we have success. And I said, that's great. And then he got back to me. And uh, what did he say? He says, I, we finally have success. The money should be in your wallet now. A swift transfer would have incurred 25 pounds charge. I love XRP. That book by Andrew Hoffman is like gold dust. Seems to have been completely <laughs> scrubbed off the interweb. Incidentally, many years ago, I worked with Charles Kilkenny at Swift in Brussels, Belgium. Let me know if you have any issues from Francis. I thought that was pretty awesome. This is a guy who actually worked with your uncle Charles. Right. He actually worked (laughs) with Swift, and now he's in decentralized currency XRP and sending it over to us, which he has to love. We love because, you know, all these donations we're reading to you so far are from PayPal. PayPal gets their cut. Of what we're doing here so this this was this is straight his wallet to my wallet so we do enjoy the crypto i will try and get all of the links for crypto up there and if you have a certain crypto you'd like to donate please message us and i'll try and you know get the wallet to you and figure out how to do it from there but pardon the delays we're all new to this uh this is another one from i mean what is when are we going to start accepting dogecoin tim we i'll put dogecoin up too (laughs) put it all in dog money let's get it (laughs) So I mean, I'm I'm not actually putting uh, donations into dog money, but if you want to donate dog money, I will keep it in dog money. <laughs> there you go, up or down, he'll ho- he'll holdle. Yep, oh, I'm I'm a holder. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this next donation kind of blew me out of the water because I could probably wave to this guy from here, and that's Mars from Muckleteo, Washington, the town just north of me here, not very far away at all. Jose is from uh, Canada, Quebec to be exact, Rougemont, Quebec. And uh, he was offering a little extra money to uh, get the shipping to to Canada for the book. So thank you for the $25. Uh, Ricardo from Rosedale, New York, another $25. Jacob from Bonnie Lake, Washington, not too far from me either, $30. Um, And then our our good friend, Danny the Idiot, (laughs) $50. Uh, and he's uh, this is a second donation of his. Thank you for supporting us, Danny. Obviously, he's not an idiot. That's tongue in cheek. Uh, Ricky Stillwell from North Dakota, another one in the middle of the country. Thank you for forty dollars. And the last one would be Timothy Blake, twenty five dollars. I'm not sure where he's from, and I need him to get back to me with an address so we can get him a book. But that is the producers for two hundred and twenty seven seven of this ep- of this podcast. 
thank you guys so much for producing the show. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for getting Andrew's book. And uh, we hope that our our little rambling podcast is of help to you in some way. One of the people who got back to us, Andrew, said that they appreciated the podcast after hearing about us through the Truth is Stranger Than Fiction YouTube channel. And he appreciated all the links in the show notes, the aggregation of all the links okay. that we cover. Okay. So that is another resource for people to uh, to use. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Did you have any messages for the producers? Oh, just a big thank you. I mean, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> far beyond expectations for sure. So Andrew is super excited. If you don't know Andrew, yeah. then you don't know that he's well, actually super excited. This most, is how he talks. Uh, most podcasts, uh, you know, expect about 1% of their listeners to donate. And apparently, um, over 100% of our <laughs> listeners donate to the show. So this... <laughs> I feel like this has to count for something. So. <laughs> Andrew doesn't even know how many people download this show, but it is funny. We had a lot of donors who didn't listen to the show yet. And the main reason for that is they're buying your book. And Andrew, I mean, come on, man. That back cover is worth the price of admission. From yeah. 2009, you nailed it. Masks, vaccines, and everything else. So without further ado let's get back into it i did want to cover there's a couple weird ones and this one is just kind of a wacky off the wall one that i think ah, maybe we should end it with that one the off the wacky one that doesn't have any kind of answer but um what what do we got here we have a few more to go we uh, let me give you can, the choice can here. i can i attempt like a covid kind of overview rundown Oh, there's, you can attempt you can attempt a COVID overview rundown, but you and I both know that there's it's a, very there's some uh, some good news. So I okay. do want you know I, I don't want to just do the bad news. Um, the India this you know India has various states. One of them is called Goa. I may be pronouncing that wrong. Uh, has a couple million people in it, so one of the smaller ones in India. But it is prescribing ivermectin for everyone in the in the state of Nice. Goa. That's so great. That is good news. Um, obviously, it, India is a huge country, and that's a very small area of it. But if, as I would expect would happen, uh, COVID cases and deaths and what have you go way down in that area hopefully other parts of the country will follow uh, Merck is freaking out and saying no we don't know if ivermectin works against covid don't give it out meanwhile uh, there's a promotional video of Merck saying look we gave millions of kids ivermectin and it had all these great effects aren't we a great company with no, no prescription. So, fine for children with no prescription a couple of years ago. Not okay for adults with a prescription today. There's there's your new science. Um, there's a, a great clip of Rand Paul um, talking to Fauci about gain-of-function research. There's been much progress on that front recently. Um, this is stuff... We were talking about a year ago and probably on our own hearing about 14 months ago. Actually, maybe more than that. Sure. Um, all, all the stuff that is in the early James Corbett uh, COVID coverage is coming out 14, 15 months later. 
like this <laughs> if you were paying attention then um all this stuff is like yep that's what i've been saying thinking hearing for the last 15 months but it's now on mainstream media you can draw your own conclusions about what that means um i it's definitely i would think has to be a good thing though um i've, I've got some other st- stuff in there but uh, basically, the it is coming out that not only did this virus come from a lab and be a lab-created virus, um, I don't think it's totally, you know, stone-cold lock that this came from the Wuhan lab, but it's definitely a lab-created virus, a, an engineered virus. Uh, there's absolute proof of that. There's a great article that I threw in here from... Uh, it's called The Origin of COVID. Did people or nature open Pandora's box? And let's... Nicholas Wade is the author of the article, so I, it's a long read, but well worth reading. Uh, it gets into the, the very specifics of, you know, here's this protein and that protein that never occur or very rarely occur in bats and yet um, and allow a virus to be communicated with or transferred to humans and it's just spliced right into this COVID-19 virus. So anyway, I won't, I won't butcher it by attempting to summarize the whole thing, but well worth reading and people should read, you know, Oh, that's a good point. It's actually a great uh, method of ingesting information. And uh, just a kind of, quirky fun story to show the mainstream media's coverage uh, from NBC News Dracula's castle in Romania provides an ideal setting for COVID vaccinations <laughs> we don't talk about this sort of stuff often but <laughs> how about that that is what about so creepy like, ugh. what about the idea that I mean there's a lot of references to like Vlad the Impaler and Dracula all being some of these so-called elites who are tied to these royal families of the Illuminati who through the the generations have run the you know England and all this other stuff but you know it's all dismissed as crazy conspiracy theory but then you see weird stuff like this is like is there still a spell going on where they're still like hey let's go stick people with these this thing this you know mess everything up yeah and in, and in people this, wanting this to like travel there but oh no it's only for Romanians yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's that's just ugh. It, even if you're like, but but remember the people that want to go um, get injected at Dracula's castle. Those are the people that believe in science. We're the crazy conspiracy theorists. Okay, yeah, yeah. N- not a cult, not a not a religion uh, at all. Not, totally, not at all. Totally normal. Com- totally normal. That's a that's a normal thing. I think we have to talk about it since we talked about it before, but you saw the video of uh, the Canadian pastor get arrested. Yes. yes. That's awesome. Good that good that uh, you uh, call them Nazis a couple times, they go away, and then the third time they just kind of track you down the middle of the road and arrest you. Yeah, and every single church everywhere, not just Canada, but they need to be open. Yeah. They need to be open. You are enabling the tyrannical government uh, by 
by letting it be only a couple, you know, rogue churches. Every single church should be open. Then they couldn't do anything about it. And it, if you go to a church that's not open, find a new church. Yeah, and I think a lot of people did that. Yeah. Now it's like, should your church wear masks? Should your church do this? Yeah. It's a tough. It's a tough time for churches, I think. In you know. But not the toughest time in, you know, throughout the history of the world, there's been a lot tougher times for churches yeah. in a lot tougher places. So it's just our first taste of it. And so far, we're not responding very favorably. Yeah, not doing very well. I don't think uh, the sequel to Fox's Book of Martyrs is going to have a lot of Americans and Canadians in it. But. <laughs> I mean, it could. You never know. Look at their courage. They, you know, they met online. <laughs> they they met masked and six feet apart and no singing singing is dangerous singing is dangerous oh speaking of which you know Inslee the Fuhrer Inslee up here he decided that uh, we're going to pause like maybe he's doing the cycle thing he still thinks he's important but every, you know he's like hey we're going to go to this phase we're going to go to this phase you know meanwhile the rest of the country's like opening up like half yeah. the country's wide open but, you know, we're going to phase. We're going from phase two to phase three. We're almost there. <gasps> we're going to pause the phases for two oh, weeks. Yes, what, is that we're going... what does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> I mean, is it is the idea to just get everybody to hate the state? They all move out and then you buy it all up and rent it out to them when they have to come back? Is that the is that the plan? Well, maybe. But why are, why are we going to go back? I mean, if I leave, I'm not coming back. You grew up here, buddy. I know. I came back once, but I, if, <laughs> I'm telling you, if I leave again, I'm not not coming back. Because if I if I go far enough away where it would be necessary to fly, then um, that's probably not going to be an option for the next however many years. So. Right. Speaking of which, the question on everybody's mind: How's the minivan running? Oh, the minivan is running great. That's what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. yeah, only uh, you know, seventeen more weeks or so till I can get it into the DMV for license plates. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, government has like government has completely fallen off the map. Like it, they they're terrible at everything right now. Like yeah. they, they never were, they never were good at stuff, but right now it's like my expectations were nothing, and I'm still disappointed. <laughs> like yes, yeah. no, I I. I didn't even know it could be this bad, you know, it's so after, you know, trying online and through the, through calling the number that they had listed, you know, the number that they had listed would put you on hold for 15 minutes and then just disconnect your call. Like no, no voicemail, no talking to anyone, no nothing. Just, it just lets you, it sits you there on hold and then hangs up on you. And, um, you know, after my poor wife's, stood in line for two hours for, for nothing. Um, I was told about the secret actual phone number, right? So I called it. It worked. Lady answers. I'm like, is this actually the, the Hood River DMV? Well, yes, it is. What can I do for you? Well, I need to get a, a VIN check, and I need to register my car. Oh, great. You do that online. Just set up an appointment online. I said, well, there's no appointments available online. Oh, yes, there is. We released more. Uh, they're they're in July, but they're they're there. I told you. I, you, I, you thought I was I, you thought I was joking about the car shortage and you thought I was joking about hanging IOU 
off the registration of yeah. your car. And then when you get pulled over, explain to them. Because that's oh, essentially no, that's... what people in Oregon have to do at this point. So so she she will not help me over the phone because I'm like, well, can I just make an appointment <laughs> through you? Because so, I'm not so sure that it's actually online. Oh, no, no, no. Just just hang up and and look online. It's They're all set. They're all on there. I go on there. Ten seconds after hanging up the phone, nothing. <laughs> so I still don't even have an appointment. Not even one of those mythical July appointments that opened. You just up. need to get like an iHeart Kate Brown sticker, put it on the license plate, and call it a day. Like that's yeah, that'll be the registration, and you you just call it. Like I'm I'm telling you, we've sold cars to customers who then have no way of getting any kind of registration, and it's almost to the point where it's just hang an IOU in the back window and say, "So I'll get yeah. it to you when I can. Whenever you guys will take it, I'll I'll yeah, get so- it to you." So selfishly, this is my documentation of my interactions with the DMV, so that if I do get a ticket, I will play this clip in court saying, look, I tried. (laughs) And, okay, so I'd like to say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, why does the state of Oregon not accept registration in dog money, dog money? (laughs) Okay, I have a fun one. And fun by fun, I don't mean it's fun for the person that this happened to, but holy cow, this cor- this story uh, kind of went by, and I didn't catch it at the time, but this is from last month, April 23rd. Deutsche Bank whistleblower vanishes. So the son of a late Deutsche Bank executive who shared his father's internal bank documents with the FBI and news outlets, such as Forensic News and the New York Times, after his death, has gone missing in Los Angeles, police and others said. Val Brookschmidt was last seen driving from Griffith Park on April 6th after dropping off his girlfriend, Marie Peter Toltz, and her son. Hours later, Brockschmidt failed to return to the park. The following morning, Peter Toltz activated the Find My iPhone feature on Brockschmidt's cell phone, which pinged in south-central Los Angeles. There, according to Peter Toltz, she found Brockschmidt's car running with the keys in the ignition and no sign of Brockschmidt. Peter Toltz reported that Brockschmidt was missing to the Los Angeles Police Department and uh, the LAPD's missing persons unit, who have since opened an investigation. On Monday, the LAPD released a public statement pleading for anyone who may know something about his disappearance to contact the authorities. If you have seen or have any information regarding his whereabouts, please contact the Los Angeles Police Department's missing units, and there's some phone numbers. His Broichschmidt's Deutsche Bank documents in cooperation. After Val Broichschmidt's stepfather, Bill Broichschmidt, senior advisor or senior executive at Deutsche Bank, committed suicide in 2014, Val acquired many of his late stepfather's emails and documents from his work at the bank. It wasn't long until journalists began reaching out to Broichschmidt, hoping to gain insight into Deutsche Bank. One such journalist was David Enrich, now a New York Times journalist and an author whose book about Deutsche Bank, Dark Towers, was based on Brookschmidt's journey. Uh, Brookschmidt disagreed with the way Enrich's book and articles portrayed him. In 2019, Brookschmidt was subpoenaed by the House Intelligence Committee for the documents related to Russia and also cooperating with the FBI that year into their money laundering probe into Deutsche Bank. Uh, Brookschmidt had contact with the FBI as recently as the fall of 2020, according to a source familiar with the situation who didn't further elaborate. Gotta love the source familiar with the situation. Forensic News first met Broichschmidt in the summer of 2019, the first meeting of which 
Brickschmidt shared Deutsche Bank documents. These documents were the linchpin of four major financial investigations by forensic news into the bank's relationship with various Russian and Ukrainian clients. On Friday afternoon, the LAPD confirmed to forensic news that they are actively investigating Brickschmidt's disappearance. I can't say as we I can't say whether we suspect foul play, but I can say that he is still missing and that this is an active ongoing investigation, an officer at the LAPD media relations desk said. So a couple things. First off, obviously, there's a reason that this guy disappeared. Yeah. Hello, hello, Captain Obvious. Yeah. Se- second thing, he gets hit, knocked off by a, a, a probably a professional who then takes his car and takes it to the ghetto in Los Angeles, otherwise known as South Central, mm-hmm. and leaves it there running. <laughs> and our good friends down there in the South Central ghetto all looked at this car running with the keys in it and the mm. door open and thought, nope, <laughs> nope. This, this is a bait car and I don't want any part of this. And whoever killed him. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Whoever killed him desperately wanted that to be taken so that it would muddy up the whole investigation. They would look and find out where the car was and it would lead him down some dead end rabbit trail of some poor schlub who hopped in the car and took it. Except the buddies, the the guys down in South Central, the buddies, they all decided, (laughs) not going to take this car. No, no, thanks. You take it. Did you see that guy just jump out of the car and leave it running? Yeah, this is a trap, man. There's no way I'm taking this car. <laughs> yeah, you see no the car way. down the road? Mm-mm, no part of that. I don't want any part of this. Yeah. So anyway, uh, there is no updates on this story as far as I know. So, so, so if you're ever in South Central LA, mm-hmm. instead of locking your car, you want to leave it unlocked with the keys in it running and just leave the door open? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, I mean, it, it, like y'all, you have to remember too. She pings this thing in the middle of the night, like it's, like, yeah. so, so it's dark out. Cars just running, sitting there. Yeah, there. <laughs> she found his car running with the keys in the ignition, but no sign of him. Wow. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't take it, which leaves the. Uh, I mean, it doesn't give us any better idea what happened, but uh, definitely an interesting story to kind of keep our eye on. Uh, another just story to keep our eye on: Live Leak is gone. You hear about this? Oh, just from your post, yeah. Yeah, Live Leak has now disappeared. Uh, Hayden Hewitt, co-founder of Live Leak, Live Leak, and now Item Fix, did not directly confirm in any statements that the site was dropped because of censorship. Uh, but in one response to Twitter, Hewitt mentioned that the very pressures of doing were what we were doing were a large part of the reason we're moving on. It wasn't exactly a word plus press blog with the 299 hosting in a video posted on the youtube channel trigger warning he also described new normal in uncertain terms i don't effing like it i liked it much better when it was the wild west given Mm. the site's boilerplate insistence on their new outlet would be named item fix it's something completely different some completely fresh and blah 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 so i have a theory uh okay i want to hear it guess you shut it down I think that it was all hosted on Amazon. Amazon. Mm. The very pressures of what we were doing were a large part of the reason for moving on. It wasn't exactly a WordPress blog with 299 hosting was the quote. 
and he doesn't like the direction everything's going with the censorship and the control and the people taking stuff down. And this, for the long time, was the Wild West, the Live League stuff. I think he got leaned on. I think someone leaned on him from the higher-ups at Amazon or something like this. Maybe they gave him a buyout package. But uh, I think he was using his stuff with AWS. So just totally a guess. I have no idea. But, uh, you know, video hosting is no joke. And people watching a ton of videos, it makes a ton of data. It costs a lot of money. And uh, maybe finally somebody said, hey, we're done with this. We need to get this out and uh, and take it all down. Maybe, hey, who knows? Maybe Maybe Hunter Biden had some good porn on there that we needed to get rid of. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine, for sure. Right. Okay, and the last one I think that we'll hit, unless you have anything else. Uh, no, we gotta gotta wrap her up. So. No, I know. Uh, Michael Burry warns the Weimaraner hyperinflation is coming. I missed. Oh, that's this. a good news story for the end. Yeah, I missed this story <laughs> a couple months ago. It, I guess it came out in February, but I missed this whole deal. Uh, but Michael Burry, who from uh, the Big Short fame, for those of you who don't know, he quoted the, uh, or he is the one who predicted the 2008 financial crisis and made a bunch of money off of it because no one believed him, and was able to take down some fairly larger banks in the process uh, to make them pay him for being right. Uh, this gentleman thinks that we are on our way to hyperinflation. So he made a series of tweets about this. I don't know how I missed it. I think it's a result of Wall Street bets being filled with bots now. Um, and in people who are just kind of mm. casuals or normies, but he made a post saying that this, and it was, and it was all through Twitter in mid February. And, uh, guess what happened? They took down his Twitter account. Oh yeah. I was going to say that I just clicked the link and there's nothing there. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep, they took down his Twitter account. So uh, go on there, talk about all the crazy stuff you want, Black Lives Matter, some kind of protest, violence against others, all that stuff, totally cool. You get on there, start talking about hyperinflation as somebody who a lot of people follow, eh, you gotta go. So gotta go. Thanks for, uh, thanks for playing our little game, Michael Burry, but <laughs> this, this platform is not for you. So I think as a hedge against inflation, we should all get dog money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, but send me some emails. Is XRP, Bitcoin, where is the hedge against inflation? Because I think it's possible inflation is coming. Uh, you know, I'm starting to sound like Peter Schiff over here. You know, Peter Schiff predicting 12 out of 10 of the last uh, downturns economically. Without any further ado, Andrew Hoffman, do you have any words of wisdom for us? <laughs> Uh, I, I think I already, I already covered it. I think we, we did a good job and not that long a time of getting, getting through a lot of stuff. So, okay. Well, any tips, tips with Tim again, just go outside, vitamin D sun, be outside, get, get healthy. Just take care of yourself. It doesn't have to be with a mask and a vaccine. You can actually just take care of your own health and that will help you. Yeah. If you'd like to support our show, be the producer of the next podcast, which you'd like a copy of Andrew's book, please go to Revelations Radio News backslash support or click on the support tab. There you can see some different ways to donate. There's a couple different coins for uh, crypto. There's a, a link for PayPal. And you can also uh, donate via the P.O. Box. Uh, all donations over $25 will get a free copy of Andrew's book in the United States. If you're outside the United States, please just send us a message. Thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. 
Thank you, everybody, especially everyone who donated. That was awesome. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com, and thank you for your support of this podcast. Don't you say- Materialistic determinism is at the heart of the ideology of the eugenic state. Along with its contradictory but corresponding assertions that evolution can be quickened and guided by the state, G.K. Chesterton makes this assertion about the prevailing materialistic view of world events. The mark of the atheistic style is that it instinctively chooses the word which suggests that things are dead things, that things have no souls. Thus they will not speak of waging war, which means willing it. They speak of the, quote, outbreak of war, as if all the guns blew up without the men touching them. This denial of human or divine causality has become endemic in the academic portrayals of history, anthropology, science, and even economics, the naturally occurring business cycle. When human causes are admitted, they are framed as brief accidents, such as Hitler's reign of terror, rather than the result of much planning and a coherent ideology. It is more difficult to combat eugenics now because it hides behind a plethora of different guises. The underlying philosophical assumptions remain, however, and these we can and must refute at every opportunity. The eugenic state springs from the basic assumption that the health of the individual is the concern and responsibility of the state. While this may sound innocuous, or even benevolent, Chesterton points out that, quote, if a man's personal health is a public concern, then his most private acts are more public than his most public acts. When the state is given the power to, quote, protect the individual from himself, the door is opened for greater and greater tyranny. If the men who had denied one liberty had taken the opportunity to affirm other liberties, there might be some defense for them, but it never crosses their minds. Hence the excuse for the last oppression will always serve as well for the next oppression, and to that tyranny there can be no end. The power to regulate is the power to control. Political power over individuals is predictably dangerous and will predictably fall into evil hands. Therefore, we must work to see that the power of the state is as limited as possible regarding personal health and freedom.
Interesting times for sure. We're turning yeah. into the Hunger Games, bro. I kind of feel that. the Hunger Games. We yeah. I and I live just outside Metropolis. Yeah. 